Hey guys, this is Josh Peak. Welcome to the Josh Peak Show, uh, where I interview entrepreneurs, podcasters, um, sometimes even politicians. But today we're interviewing Dr. Jim Meehan. He's an MD, and you know I wanted to talk to somebody about um, the mask issue, uh, the safety of it, the questions, those type of things. This show, I just want to put a disclaimer: I'm not a medical expert. Uh, this is for educational purposes. Um, not medical purposes, and so that's the disclaimer I want to put. I am not a medical professional, but Dr. Jim Meehan is an MD. I think you're really going to enjoy this. There's been a lot of talk about a mandate uh, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, about wearing masks, and so people have questions, and we, I, I think it's healthy to question uh, really what's going on. And, and um, So you will enjoy this. Again, you can go to my website at joshpeak.com you can find me on instagram at joshpeak uh twitter at joshpeak and then as well as on facebook you can just type in my name joshpeak and you'll find me there too so uh i think you're really going to enjoy this show it was a very interesting um there's some interesting insight that i've got uh, after you know after going through the interview so i know you'll enjoy it as well again thank you and you have a great day Hey guys, this is Josh Peak. Welcome to the Josh Peak Show, where I'm your host, Josh Peak. And today I have a good friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for quite some time, Dr. Jim Meehan. Um, he's an MD, and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the things that are going on here in Tulsa uh, in regards to the masks and the mandate, that type of thing, plus probably other things as well. So, uh, Jim, it's good to have you on. It's great to be on, Josh. I'm glad you're getting this good information out. Well, yeah, I went to your website, and uh, it looks like it's it's uh, it's been updated and pretty new. I was looking at some of your new posts, and um, and and so especially the one on the um, you know the risk benefit ratio to wearing mask. Um, let's talk about that just a little bit. You know, I know that you guys right. there there's some things you guys are going to be doing. Uh, it looks like today. So um, why don't you? I mean, just give me your let's just get into it and give me your your thoughts on this as far as uh, this mask mandate. Yeah, well, first, you know, just to introduce myself to your listeners, I am a medical doctor trained at some of the top institutions in the, in the United States, Washington University School of Medicine, did my residency program in ophthalmology. I specialize in ocular immunology and inflammation. Um, so I have a, and, and I was the uh, former medical journal editor, so I used to edit a medical, edit a medical journal. Um, and the name of that journal was Ocular Immunology and Inflammation, um, the same area that I practice in. So I know a thing or two about immunology, infectious disease, inflammation, diseases of the entire body. I've done an internship in internal medicine. I've done months on infectious disease. I've managed patients on ventilators, etc. So um, I have an adequate background to um, be talking about this issue. And, you know, so that with as it pertains to this issue of risk to benefit ratio, every medical intervention should be assessed relative to the risks and the benefits. The problem with this um, idea of how we're managing COVID-19, especially the issue that's hot right now, which is universal masking of the population or um, here in Tulsa, we're getting ready to fight 
a the mayor's ordinance. He's trying to push um, the masking of healthy people, you know, universal masking with fines and, um, you know, citations should you not comply. And that's a medical procedure. A medical procedure should be analyzed according to risks and benefits. But the conversation has been one in which we're only talking about the perceived benefits of wearing medical masks to mitigate or the, the disease, protect yourself or others, and um, nobody's talking about the risk. And the risks of wearing a medical mask are significant. And in my opinion, and the opinion of a growing number of my colleagues and, the, in fact, the medical literature, the, uh, the risks outweigh the benefits. There's a reason why we have not recommended masks for the population for the annual flu outbreaks. Um, for measles, for many infectious diseases, because it's been studied for 30, 40 years. The, the medical literature is replete with the evidence that says medical masks offer almost no benefit and they have significant risks. So it was no surprise to me early in the pandemic. I think it was about February, sometime in February, the Surgeon General tweeted, um, uh, seriously, people, stop wearing masks. They do not stop the coronavirus you know do you remember that tweet josh i I actually do remember that um i do remember that tweet and and, you know anthony fauci said the same thing the world health organization said the same thing and continued that position longer um and then they all you know flipped and flopped and changed direction and uh, the recommendation now coming from our public health experts which you got to understand they got their blinders on they're not thinking about all of the economic concerns, or it, it appears that they're not, um, the damage to the economy, the damage to the health of patients that are fearfully isolating in their homes, wearing masks, lowering their arterial oxygen, absorbing, rebreathing CO2. Um, we'll go more into those risks because that's kind of what you were asking about. And, um, and so, I mean, let's talk about the risks of wearing a medical mask. Um, but that kind of, uh, lead up was all to say, Josh, that there, the science is not as clear as it's being made out to be, or is it is now being made out to be, and the evidence of that is the, the messages that we got earlier in the pandemic. So if our public health experts don't know, or they have flip flop and change their direction, you know, what is the population supposed to believe? What are American citizens supposed to believe? And what I would like to do is reframe the argument and say, let's do a risk-benefit analysis. Here's the risk. And and the risks are, number one, when you, when you wear a sterile mask that's designed to protect you from an infectious disease, the way we wear them in the hospital is for a very short period of time. We um, Once your breath uh, causes that mask to become mask to become full of moisture. It becomes ineffective and it becomes increasingly dangerous. The more moisture in it, the more um, oxygen will be blocked. The more CO two will be reabsorbed. Those are the other risks: is lowering your arterial oxygen. Our body, our muscles, our heart muscle, our brain are highly metabolic and very dependent on oxygen flow, um, inhalation absorption in the lungs, and and distribution throughout the body. When you put on a medical mask, you are significantly inhibiting the um, 
oxygen that your lungs are receiving. A number of studies have shown this. In fact, one that was always pertinent to me as a surgeon, I've worn medical masks in the operating suite over 10,000 times. And I would, um, in long surgeries, I'd have to take my mask off after, after about 30 minutes and get a fresh one. When we wear masks in the, in the hospital, the OR, we are wearing, you know, um, sterile, fresh masks taking out of a sterile packaging. We're handling them appropriately, carefully. Um, they're being applied in a fashion so that we're careful not to contaminate them. Once we put them on, we don't touch them. Um, if we were to touch them, that mask comes off, goes in the trash, and we get a fresh new mask. So that's that's how we wear them. Also, the you know you hear this a lot. Well, if it's okay for doctors and surgeons to wear a mask, you know why isn't it okay for me? One of the things you need to understand is that in a in the ORs that we all work in, when I'm doing surgery, we have um, ex- air exchange units that are, are extreme. The the air turnover the amount of oxygen that's in that environment, all of these factors are significantly um, more favorable to wearing a mask that blocks oxygen, causes you to reabsorb CO2, rebreathe CO2. So it's not the same. You can't compare that to somebody wearing a mask for hours or even minutes in the community. It's a very different, um, non-comparable situation. So I mentioned that they, they are in a, a study of, of surgeons wearing medical masks, they showed that surgeons' arterial oxygen level will start to diminish very rapidly um, and progressively over the course of about 30 minutes of wearing a mask. And that would, as a surgeon that does fine, detailed eye surgeries, I, I, you would notice it. You would start to get a bit of a tremor. You get a headache. Um, you would start to... Your, your abilities would start to diminish within about 30 minutes of donning that mask. So that's, that's one of the reasons, and that's in an environment in which we've got a lot of air exchange and a lot um, better, more favorable conditions to breathing um, with a, a device on your face that inhibits the breathing process. So the, uh, the other thing that happens when you've got a mask on your face is you start rebreathing CO2. Researchers all over the world have been doing studies um, showing that if you put an oxygen CO2 monitor behind that mask, you start, the the CO2 levels reach toxic levels within seconds. We're talking about the Occupational Safety um, Health Administration has limits for, you know, workers that wear masks. Um, That limit of toxicity for CO2 is 1 to 2,000 parts per million. And Um, Within minutes of donning a mask, your CO2 levels behind that mask will start to rise to the 7 to 10,000 range. So um, 5 to 10 times higher than the toxic levels that anyone should be subjected to. If you're wearing that mask, lowering your oxygen, increasing your CO2 over the course of hours and um, beyond, as many people are, you are changing your arterial blood gases in a way that is disfavorable to mentation, to brain function, to heart function, to your respiratory function. Um, There are people passing out, wearing masks in their car while driving, crashing into, um, you know, a home, streets, whatever, street signs, et cetera. Um, Kids and two, two children in China were 
or died from wearing masks while in gym class and running aggressively. You know, our hearts are very dependent on oxygen to be able to supply all the metabolic uh, needs that the, of the heart during activity. We should not be exercising while wearing masks. Yeah, well, so, that, that's another uh, thing. I mean, um, and again, if you, if you, if, to my listeners, if you want to check this article out, it's the risk to benefit ratio of wearing masks. That's at mehanmd.com, M-E-E-H-A-N-M-D.com. You know, I'm not a me- medical expert at all. I'm a businessman, but this is, I mean, it's crippling the economy. I, did, I don't really understand. I mean, that's why I wanted to have you on is to explain to yeah, people okay. what, what the risks really are. Um, and I do, I see people driving around with this. I had one, I, I do not wear a mask, but I, I had to wear one at a place that I went into the other day. There is no question after a few minutes, it is, it is, uncomfortable. you know, it's not right. Yeah. So do you mm-hmm. think it's, do you think it's going to happen this mandate? I mean, do you think it's going to pass? Do you think it's going to, well, the, I, I here in Tulsa, I, I, I don't believe it will. Um, if it does, I'm, uh, I've already got, uh, a couple of attorneys have volunteered to offer their time. I'm going to, fund the uh, a lawsuit against the city so we'll bring a lawsuit i mean this is this isn't science josh this is tyranny and this is the kind of um politicization of politicization of of science that uh, is intolerable to me um throughout this pandemic we the people have been fed a tremendous amount of misinformation misinformation about low-cost, highly effective, safe therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine. Um, we've been denied, you know, we have deprived the public of low-cost, effective therapeutics that could, uh, that are being shown by doctors all over the world. And now we have random um, control trials that are demonstrating the exact same thing, the safety and efficacy of drugs that cost about $40 and reduce the mortality of COVID-19 by about um, 500%, five times fewer deaths when when interventions like hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin are delivered early, as early as possible in the course of disease. And yet, we have many states, including our own state, Josh, this will blow your mind, because it blew mine. I was contacted by a physician, no less, that wanted, uh, he was ER physician, front lines, uh, knows he's going to be exposed, felt like he had been exposed, and asked me if I would treat him. So um, he, he, uh, he comes in, and a, we decided to prescribe the, the uh, what is either called the um, Dr. Raul, Didier Raul protocol or the Zelenko protocol, both um, physicians that have published studies showing the tremendous benefits of hydroxychloroquine. And so I, I uh, agreed to treat him to prescribe hydroxychloroquine, and I was asked by the pharmacist for the first time it's ever happened in my career, what's the diagnosis code? And I was kind of taken aback. I, I was curious, you know. Uh, I said, why are you asking me what the diagnosis code is? I've never, I've never been asked that before, and it's kind of protected health information um, relative, you know, just fill the prescription. Well, um, we can't. The Oklahoma Board of Pharmacy has restricted the prescription of hydroxychloroquine for um, COVID-19. If if your patient, and I so I said, if my patient it has, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or autoimmune disease, and I wanted to prescribe 
hydroxychloroquine, the brand name is Plaquenil, which it's a very common prescribed to, you know, hundreds of millions of people across the world, um, long-term therapy, et cetera. Um, would I be able to prescribe it? Yes, Dr. Mann, you'd be able to prescribe it in that situation. But for COVID-19, you cannot. And I about came unglued. I was just like, are you kidding me? When did this, you know, so I did a little research and found out the pharmacy board had, you know, um, unilaterally kind of passed this restriction. And um, it didn't come from the governor. I don't, I don't know how they can do it. I still, I didn't get any deeper into understanding how it was done. But um, about a week later, uh, the restriction was lifted in Oklahoma, but in many states in the United States, it has not been lifted. And in New York, New Jersey, almost every blue state, and there, you know, this is what I mean by the politicization of this pandemic. Um, in many blue states, that restriction still exists. So patients are being deprived of a proven safe, you know, five days of hydroxychloroquine is is one of the the uh, better interventions we also now know that there's um, nebulized or inhaled steroids that are sh uh, being shown to be highly effective and a lot of doctors um, are are pushing that information out on social media but many you know many people suffering from COVID-19 are being deprived of low-cost safe therapeutics that are being proven in random controlled trials to be safe you know, they were misled by science, Josh, the, the, the science that came out. And you got to understand the modus operandi, the pattern of behavior of the pharmaceutical industry is when you have a low cost, safe and effective therapeutic like vitamin D or vitamin C, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, um, uh, budesonide, a, a nebulized steroid used in asthma, which is showing to be very efficacious in the treatment of COVID-19, when these low-cost therapeutics threaten the financial revenue stream of a $3,200 antiviral that sucks, that is literally, that's a medical term, sucks, and by it, I mean, it, it, it 20% of patients in the remdesivir trials were um, having moderate to severe reactions. It doesn't, it only works in a small window, but it's a $3,200 cost for the course of therapy for remdesivir and the the vaccine which doesn't exist is being fast-tracked is not being adequately tested will almost certainly be unsafe the first people in the line to get the vaccines are playing russian roulette with a vaccine that we've never for a vaccine for a disease that we have never been able to produce coronavirus is a very difficult bug to to be able to treat with um, vaccines in the past, um, studies have shown that the early trials, it just killed the animals. When an animal would be vaccinated for a coronavirus vaccine, like the SARS-CoV-1, the first iteration of this virus, it was the animals would get vaccinated with SARS-CoV-1 vaccine. And when they were then re-exposed to the wild type virus, they, it basically created such a massive inflammatory cytokine storm that it melted their lungs, it melted their organs, and it killed the animals. Um, almost all of them died in the, in the animal portion of the trial. We skipped over the animal trials um, for every one of the coronavirus vaccines being, being rushed to market right now. 
they're already being tested in third world countries. We, you know, when when you're drug, when you're waiting for a drug or a vaccine that our federal agencies and pharmaceutical companies are testing on people of color in third world countries, I got I have a problem with that. You know, uh, just the way we are using third world countries. But I digress. Just planting that seed for people to think about how deeply corrupt some of our medical investigation um, and scientific process is when we allow the pharmaceutical industries to control it, fund it, and and provide us with the science, and we, we're supposed to then sign off on it. Yeah. So, sorry, Josh, I, I get on a riff. And no, I mean, that, that's, that's why I brought you on. Um, I think there's people have questions, obviously, and, you know, I don't. I you and I both know there's not there's gonna be if they come out with a vaccine which they keep talking about and who knows how long. Right. Nobody's gonna want it. To, I mean, I say nobody. There's a lot of a, a high percentage of people that are that do not trust it and that are not going right. to want to take it. So, I mean, I've talked to people. You know, I guess you probably have too. That they they believe they've had it. They believe they've had the coronavirus. That they, um, you know, three or four days later. They've went through the they they went through everything. They're back to working out, and and it was just a it was just a a, a virus that you know it, right. was, it was strong obviously, but it was they worked there, and, and no one's really talking that I'm not here. I mean, well, you know, a portion of my friends are saying, why are we not talking about boosting the immune system instead of wearing Amen. a mask and whatever else? I mean, why is Amen, that, not? brother? Yeah, there are so many, and, and that's what we should all be doing. The evidence that. Um, you know, the evidence for vitamin D, for example, is overwhelming. It's tremendous scientific evidence that says that your vitamin D levels are very important to the health of your immune system and your ability to have to survive a case of COVID-19. The people that are dying from COVID-19, um, a study that was done recently on vitamin D levels look, and people that had and died from COVID-19 shows that about 99.2% of the patients that died with COVID-19 had vitamin D levels well below 12. The, the, the Institute of Medicine says it should be 30 um, as a well-trained kind of preventive medicine, integrative medicine, functional medicine practitioner that I also am in, additional, in addition to my um, immunology, inflammation, and infectious disease background is um, I know that vitamin D is very important. I want to see it about 60 to 90 nanograms per deciliter in my patients, um, that my patients should be trying to get a little bit of daily sun, you know, seven, 10 minutes, um, about quarter of the time that it would take to turn your pink, your skin pink. And you will be, that's the best way to get your vitamin D is from the sun. And then as an alternative and a second best, a distant second best, um, taking vitamin D supplementation. And you can do it based on body weight, but a good it's going to be for most people. It's going to be five to ten thousand units. There are some people that have vitamin D receptor mutations, and they might need more. But it's very difficult to overdose on vitamin D. I mean, you can take a hundred thousand units, as one individual, as one case report in the medical literature did, for six months, and have almost no negative side effects but gastrointestinal discomfort. A hundred thousand units. So we're well below that at even 10,000 units. I personally take 10,000 um, to 20,000 units a day, take it in the morning, and I take it with vitamin K2. Most of the formulations, vitamin K2 works very well with vitamin D to improve calcium metabolism, 
put it in the bones and not in your cardiovascular wall. So we should all be making sure that our vitamin D levels are are in you know a, a healthy range. You can measure it, um, or you can just you know until you measure it. I'd be I'd be taking someplace between five thousand units and ten thousand units of a high quality vitamin D with a K two. Um, in the formulation or in addition to the vitamin D formulation. Well, you're going to... The other thing that I'd be... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say the other thing is vitamin C, and vitamin C is uh, essential to health, and it's very important in preventing um, infectious disease. It's very important to, to uh, you know, stamping out a disease when you get it. Uh, I regularly dose vitamin C, recommend it to my patients. Also on my website, there there are there's a four part article. It was so long I had to break it into four parts, but um, a blog post on the the various nutrients that you can take to prevent upper respiratory infections, including COVID nineteen. And it's all evidence based stuff. It's done from the medical literature. Everything that I try to post, I support it with high level scientific literature. And and the, by high level, I mean not the weak. So there's different levels of medical research. The case report, you know, anecdotes is the bottom of the pyramid. It's weak. You know, case reports, case controls, retrospective studies, those are all weak evidence. That's what the mass contingent, that's what a lot of our health experts are relying upon is weak science. At the top of the pyramid, the highest level are random controlled trials and meta-analyses or, you know, aggregating a bunch of randomized controlled clinical trials using placebo controls and bring all those together and analyzing all the data. That's the top of the pyramid. My science is supported against, against masks, for example. My science is supported by a meta-analysis of 17 random controlled trials that says masks do not work to prevent the influenza virus, which is a, roughly the same size as coronavirus. And uh, which is why we don't recommend masks for influenza and why we should not be recommending masks for coronavirus. You know, what's funny, uh, and Kathy saw this on my uh, on my Facebook. I mean, as we're talking about this, we're talking about boosting the immune system. I, I had there was a tweet from the Louisiana Department of Health. And they talk about happening today, the first 500 people who show up for uh, the COVID-19 testing at, I'm reading this from their tweet, at LSU's Alex Box Stadium site in Baton Rouge will receive a, 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 well, they misspelled coupon, but for a McDonald's value meal from a local McDonald's franchise. That's not a joke. Yeah. That that is a joke, though. I mean, it is literally, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it might be real, but it's a joke. I mean, yeah. that is the problem. I, yeah, I, this is you know this is the pharmaceutical company com- colluding with you know big um, fast food chains to just you know to destroy the health of the population. Um, Josh, here's the reality: in the United States today, we have one of the sickest populations that we've ever had. The health of America is in um, a downward trajectory, and it has been for a long time. Fifty-four percent of our children are suffering from one or more of twenty-one chronic diseases. We are allowing the pharmaceutical industry, you know, to create a pill for every ill. We've got my colleagues in medicine. Um, we've broken the system. The system is broken. You know, you're spending four to seven minutes with a physician that has got samples in his pocket from the 
pharmaceutical rep that just dropped off a hot meal and some, you know, cute pens and, and some free cruise tickets that are dictating the, the practice of medicine in so many ways. And so you walk in with, um, you know, complaints, I'm not sleeping well, I'm short of breath and, you know, whatever it is, I can't, you know, I have no interest in work and life and sex or anything. And before you know it, you've got an antidepressant, you got a sleep medicine, you're probably being put on a statin. I mean, you're, you're walking out with four or five, six pills to address all the symptoms and we're not addressing the underlying cause. The underlying causes are more in your control the individual's control, whether you're, you know, trained in medicine or science or otherwise, you know, they're, they're common sense things. Don't eat at McDonald's. Don't eat, you know, fast food. Try to improve the quality of, of your food. Avoid genetically modified foods that are contaminated with glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup. It's a huge destructant to our health. You know, to get some exercise, lose weight. The people that are dying of COVID-19 are the same people that die from the flu and other infectious diseases every year because their immune systems are crap. They're, you know, they're 40, 50, 60 pounds overweight. In fact, obesity has been one of the um, leading conditions that is a risk factor for dying of COVID-19. The, you know, so if you don't get your health, support the health of your immune system, your food is the most important medicine that you consume every day. And if you're eating Krispy Kremes, Mountain Dew, and McDonald's, you're killing yourself, and you're leaving yourself susceptible to millions of viruses, many of which we haven't even identified yet. Um, you, you're never, we're never going to have a vaccine for every disease that afflicts the, you know, humanity. They want to try it because it's extremely profitable, um, and that's why we have so many already. We have too many right now. It's one of the reasons I think that 54% of children are suffering from one or more of 21 chronic diseases because we're administering, you know, six to 13 vaccines at a single visit to a small infant. And um, we, we think that's good for their health, but the evidence is to the contrary. And, and all you have to do is look at how many children are suffering from all of these diseases. But the health of our population is in decline because doctors, um, you know, want to read headlines and, and uh, you know, abstracts that say, you know, vitamin D, this or that, vitamin C, this or that, hydroxychloroquine, this or that. You know, they don't want you to pay attention to the cheap, low-cost, safe and effective therapeutics that support the health of your immune system. They want you um, so fearful that that you will submit to an untested, potentially dangerous vaccine, that your only hope is an expensive antiviral or an untested vaccine. That's what we're all being, you know, a, a big part of this is the monetization of medicine. Mm -hmm. It's the pharmaceutical industry setting us up for expensive antivirals and vaccines. They'll make a tremendous amount. We're being set up to, you know, just sit, submit to mandatory, you know, vaccinations like this, the whole mandatory masking thing in various cities and states across the country. This is all about they're testing the population to see how submissive we are. How much will we tolerate before we stand up and resist, um, you know, the erosion of our liberties and our freedoms? 
And, and that's why I'm rising to stand up and speak loudly about the lack of science that is being perpetrated on the city of Tulsa. The science doesn't support what they're trying to dictate, but it's all about politics. And let me say this, too. Uh, this needs to be said. Um, our the, the Tulsa director, executive director of the Tulsa Department of Health, the guy that is is um, dictating this mandatory masking of the city of Tulsa. His name is Dr. Bruce Dart. And we all assumed that that doctor in front of his name meant that he was a medical doctor. Many physicians, myself included, until about two days ago, thought Dr. Bruce Dart was a medical doctor and that he might know something that maybe we did not. However, I did a little background on him, and I found out that he doesn't have the only biological science training that the guy has um, is his undergraduate degree in 1977, which, by the way, we've learned so much more since 1977. Most of what he learned in 1977 is irrelevant. Um, some of it stayed the same. The brain's still in the same place, but now we know it's connected to a lymphatic system that um, connects with the rest of the body. So there's so many things that we have learned in medicine, but his doctorate was actually an online internet degree took him about one to two years of online work to get his doctorate in health business administration. So we've got a, you know, um, decades long bureaucrat that has almost no biological science training um, of any relevancy. And he is the one that is advising the mayor of Tulsa to, um, to tyrannically, draconically, um, forced mass on the entire population. And that's, that is just, man, I, I got to yell that from the mountaintops that that's how we're making decisions in this city and throughout this country, people, politicians and lawmakers are, you know, virtue signaling this whole mask thing. They're dividing the population. You've got people, you know, there's videos online of people getting in fights in grocery stores because, um, some person wasn't wearing a mask and the mask shamers, you know, literally get violent and attack. That's the kind of divisiveness that's being manifest throughout the population. And, and it's all part of a, a bigger, darker plan, in my opinion. And so we just got to, we got to stop this anti-science, you know, bureaucrats trying to force liberty eroding dictates on the population because their, their process hasn't worked. The, the United States has performed so poorly in this COVID-19 pandemic because we've allowed people like Fauci, Gates, the CDC, and the World Health Organization for too long in the early stages to dictate what was going on. Our hospitals, you know, most of the deaths in the United States, uh, overwhelmingly, and here's the statistic, 62% of deaths in the United States came from 18% of the population. So 18% of the number of people that live in the United States were living in six key states um, from which most of the deaths came from. And I'm sure you can guess which ones they are. I won't make you, but it's New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it's East Coast and, and no surprise, almost every, well, every one of those states was run by a, a Democratic governor. Mm -hmm. And that Democratic governor was issuing executive orders Cuomo in particular, who's currently under investigation for what he did to release 
um, hospitalized patients still infected with COVID-19 back into nursing homes. They were sending, against CDC guidelines, by the way, they were sending infected patients back into nursing homes, the most vulnerable population in our country, the ones that we should be protecting, were being sent back into nursing homes. And tens of thousands of deaths in New York City are directly uh, on the, the blood on the hands of Cuomo and his his health department director. I don't think we should be listening to these people. I think we need to be very cautious and skeptical of what our political leaders are doing because some of them have an agenda that is has nothing to do with public health, with the individual health of their citizens. It's darker and it's deeper and it's it's it needs to be resisted. So do you think – I guess I have a few questions here. So do you think that um, – number one, do you think that we will – like California shutting back down again. Do you think that we're going to see that nationwide, or do you think that yeah. you do? Well, I think that they're going to try it, Josh, absolutely. And I think it's a great question because you're, you you see what's happening just as well as I do. They're trying to create a false narrative that all this you know increase in case, um, case reports of people testing positive with COVID-19 are a reason to shut down the economy again because they they are in my estimation the political side of this is the left really wants to shut down the economy they want to shut down uh, they want people cowering in their homes again they want to force um mail-in balloting so that they can harvest and steal the election that you know there are just there are people that are so hyper-partisan that they don't care about anything else other than reclaiming, maintaining power. And it's, these people are on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, they're, you know, I'm not a huge fan of politicians. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're a bunch of narcissists, but there's some good ones in there. The power hungry, greedy narcissists that get in political office, um, you know, as a bartender or making uh, $70,000 a year or less. And then, you know, a few years later, they're millionaires. That's the kind of people that are, you know, are harming the the uh, they're misusing the science. They're harming the public, and they have an agenda that has nothing to do with what you and I and most Americans have any interest in. And I, I think that's that's those people are you know Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. She's a mess. She's killing people in her state with her directives. Cuomo, um, I I think the man should should and probably will be indicted for what he did as should his health director, uh, Murphy in New Jersey, and many of these others, I think it's Murphy, but um, these blue state governors that are making these kind of um, serious mistakes, and they're in Newsom in California, they are trying to march us to, it's, it's going to be the mask right now, it's going to be, and, and, and they're going to continue to exaggerate the numbers. So the virus is real, but the numbers are not, the statistics are not. Let me tell you what they're doing to pump up these case reports. Number one, and the CDC was caught conflating the numbers themselves, they're people that are multiply tested for coronavirus. If you get, if, if you are exposed, you get a test, that counts one time. Now you're on quarantine and they're gonna test you sometimes every couple of days or certainly a few times within the 14 days of quarantine. And every time that that, that test is positive, and it might be six, seven, ten times that you get tested before you go back to work and you're finally cleared, no more tests. That might be 10, 11, 12 times. And every one of those, 
is counted as a COVID case. Not, it's not one case; it's twelve cases. They were if you use if they use multiple different tests during that time, they all count to the aggregate. So um, we don't know the the numbers that are being reported right now are completely unreliable. Um, the scientific community is up in arms about this. When we learn how these cases were being counted and how the conflation by our own CDC was exaggerating the, the case count, um, it, it made the data completely unreliable. But that's what they're doing, and we need to all be aware of it. So, we, you know, the reality is that the case numbers are not as, you know, is not as big as what they're probably representing. We're certainly probably missing some out there because depending on what you read, the CDC says 35% of cases are completely asymptomatic. Other um, research institutes are saying it might be as high as 70% of cases are asymptomatic. Um, but the, the good news is regardless of how many people are being tested and being reported as cases, oh, and, and I should also say that probable cases are also being reported as COVID-19 cases. So untested, no laboratory confirmation, they are also being um, loaded into that aggregate number as a COVID-19 case. But regardless of how, how much they blow up the numbers, the good news is that the death count is falling. In fact, we are well below the CDC um, level of an epidemic in the United States. So that the, that epidemic level is 7.2%, and we're at like 5.6% or something like that. I looked at it this, this morning briefly to see where we were. We've been below the epidemic level of a disease as defined by the CDC for about a month now. Mm -hmm. And yet we're still acting as if we're in a pandemic, uh, that we're at epidemic levels here in the United States, and we aren't. So I, I've got, you know... Um, here in Tulsa, the, the last week of this um, internet doctorate, um, Bruce Dart, said that, you know, we're wor really worried about the increase in cases. And, and um, if, the, if the numbers go up next week, we're going to I'm going to mandate masks. And uh, the cases went down and they're still we're marching forward to mandate masks. Now, I will tell you, it's just kind of a local update that um, they were supposed to vote on it today that vote got postponed i think our rising resisting you know using social media to get the information out some of us you know were on the press yesterday um uh, broadcasting our resistance and the message of science i certainly was and um now they're, they're having difficulty getting a majority to be able to pass this ordinance so it's been postponed and it's looking like this thing may fall apart if it doesn't fall apart, like I said, I'm going to sue the city. And, and there's about 200 people that have joined me in that. I'd love to have you in that list, Josh. We should be suing the city. I'm, I'm funding. It's not very much. I'm funding all the, the costs. Two attorneys, um, two excellent attorneys, Stephen Gray and Gary Richardson, will be um, donating most of their time to sue the city and hold them accountable for what they're trying to do that has no basis in science. Yeah, well, and just a couple more questions. I, I guess the I was talking to a U.S. congressman last night, kind of the same around the same lines here, and he's like, "Well, I think that, you know, I asked him. I said, do you think Trump's going to win this? I mean, think, do you think this is really damaging Trump as bad as people or the media tries to say?" 
he he seems to think that Trump's in trouble. I don't think he's in trouble as much as everybody says. And the other thing is, um, are schools going to open? I have a hard time believing they. If it keeps going down the way it's going, I don't. It's going to be hard to see that schools are going to try. You know, they're going to try to open, but the question is for how long. You know, um, what are your thoughts on those two things? I mean, do you think that Trump is damaged by this? It's obviously a. I think it's a political thing. That's my opinion. And then number two, are schools? Do you think they're going to reopen in the fall? Okay, so number one, Trump. I I don't think he should be damaged. I think his handling of this has been pretty exceptional. I really do. I think that he was um, the one mistake. Although it's hard to call it a mistake, you know, his coronavirus task force was was um, that had Anthony Fauci on it. Um, and Deborah Burks and, and Redfield, the director of the CDC, these are all bad actors. Um, to those of us in science that have been paying attention in medicine, that have been paying attention, we know that um, Anthony Fauci is a multiple-time failure. He's, you know, his work in HIV, he never developed a successful HIV vaccine. His advice on the coronavirus um, management was horrible. The fact that Fauci, Burks, and Redfield will select the Ferguson Imperial models. Those are the models, um, pandemic models, that predicted 2.2 million deaths in the United States, uh, which were later found to be completely fraudulent. Uh, you know, that they would select the worst-case scenario and um, non-peer-reviewed pandemic modeling as the model to apply uh, and base decisions on in the United States was a critical failure of, of our, you know, public health experts. The other thing, you know, but then, but he had to put those people in place because they were the, you know, they were the people that, that were in place from previous administrations, and he probably had no choice to put them in place. I give him credit for sidelining and benching Fauci when he started realizing that, that Fauci not only was making mistake after mistake, but Fauci was actually funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology over the previous about 10 years, um, spending $7.4 million of taxpayer money, money um, doing gain-of-function research on dangerous viruses, um, which is almost certainly, based on my sources, the, um, the research that created the virus that we now call SARS-CoV-2, that, that the research, they bioengineered this virus in Wuhan um, at, a, at an institute that was funded by Fauci through the National Institutes of Health to the tune of 7.4 million taxpayer dollars. It was also funded by Gates. That gain-of-function research, Josh, is illegal in the United States and most countries. When it was, when it was kind of um, exposed uh, about a decade ago, or I guess about six years ago, that this kind of research was being conducted at, at laboratories in the United States and the, the scientific community became aware of it. It's a very dangerous process when you start um, changing viruses, gene splicing viruses and splicing in a gene from, say, HIV into a coronavirus that would make it more, you know, infectious, more lethal. That's a re that's a Pandora's box that we should not be engaged in. And uh, an international treaty was signed that said, stop, enough mm -hmm. is enough. We cannot do this. 
But Fauci continued that illegal research by exporting it to the to um, China, and from that that lab is where we believe, uh, and it'll take some time for the investigation to be completed. Is is the lab from which this virus has emerged? Yeah. So, well, and and Pompeo, I, you know, Secretary of State Pompeo even um, said that said, uh, you know, most of what I just said there, he said in an interview on Face the Nation. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I was listening on the radio yesterday. I don't remember who it was. It was talk radio, and a guy made a good point. He said, "So, so we use these masks. We do this mask mandate. We look down the road, you know, say a month down the road, and we're in the same situation. Then what do we do? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we do then? Right. The mask say they don't work. Um, what do you do then?" Right. I mean, uh, well, they they won't work, Josh. So the the thing is, is that the mask won't work and they may make things worse. So here's the here's the key. uh, It's a kind of a perfect segue after we talk about how that virus was bioengineered. One of the ways that that virus was bioengineered was there was there's a new gene that is not present in any of the other coronaviruses in the family of SARS-CoV-2. So that that gene is is a segment inserted into the genetic structure of SARS-CoV-2 is called a furin cleavage site. This furin cleavage site is one of the features of other viruses that make them so dangerous, like HIV has this furin cleavage site in it. And that furin cleavage site basically makes the virus more capable of entering our cells, especially at low oxygen conditions. So now here's the other risks of the mask that everybody needs to be aware of. And this is why I will not wear a mask in the public. I don't care how much, how aggressively they mandate it and how much they find me. Um, I won't wear a mask because if I were to get the virus, if I were to get uh, this highly transmissible virus that is, been, is spreading rapidly throughout our population, number one, I know that my immune system could eradicate it, that I, I take the countermeasures, I'm healthy, I exercise, um, I'm not morbidly obese um, I'm not as lean as I should be but um, I'm I'm a healthy individual I could lick the doorknobs at Walmart throughout this state and probably not even break a fever but um, I'm not going to wear a mask because as soon as I put that mask on I'm going to lower my arterial arterial oxygen that's going to activate the virus if I have the virus in my body that lowering my arterial oxygen is going to activate that virus and it's going to turn what would be an asymptomatic or a mild case into a worse case or a lethal case. So I'm not going to do that. And the other part of that story is if you have the virus and you put a mask on, you are trapping the viral particles that your breath would otherwise be releasing and it would be dropping within, you know, two, three feet of your mouth. Um, dissipating into and evaporating and dying um, rapidly it's you're you're trapping it in the mask and then you're rebreathing it into your respiratory system into your nasopharynges you're 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 increasing your viral load it's like getting mouth to mouth from somebody that has COVID-19 when you put that mask on you're increasing your viral load and infectivity and lethality is determined by viral load so we you know I, I think it's part of you know there's a part of me and i'm i'm a i'm a eternal skeptic um and i don't trust anything coming out of the cdc and the mouths of some of these public health experts so there's a part of me that says why are they 
so aggressively trying to mask the population. Certainly there's the psychological aspects, the fear, the symbol of fear, but there's also this medical aspect. They have to know what I know, what many um, scientists and physicians know, that when you mask for a disease like this, you may be increasing the death count. You may be increasing the hospitalizations. Um, There's a part of me that says, do they know and are they doing this on purpose? And are they intentionally obfuscating on the science, um, misleading lawmakers so that they do something that sh- that leads to the next phase of the plan to shut down our economy, to, you know, fear us into cowering in our homes and, you know, just destroy America. That's that's uh, I can't help but consider that I'm, I'm well trained as a former member of the United States military and uh, and you know, strategies of all kinds. And, and I know that I, I know that I, I always hope for the best, but I plan for the worst. And I consider, you know, the, the strategies and an agenda of my enemy and, and, and as a part of what I'm, you know, how I uh, live my life. And, and I, I got to tell you, I'm very concerned that this masking mandate is the first step in worsening the outcomes of the population right now. We are doing what we should be doing, what we've always done for every pandemic previously. We are, you know, bravely and boldly sending healthy, especially young people out to um, do the work of their life. They're supporting their families. Um, We keep the economy going. Our immune systems, our healthy immune systems um, eradicate the virus. We become immune and then herd immunity slowly develops. That's what we've got to do. It's the only thing that we can do. The mask thing has not worked in any country that has used it. The only, the only science that seems to support the idea of masking is weak, retrospective, correlative studies. Doesn't, there, there's no random controlled trials that say masks work. There's lots that say it doesn't, for influenza in particular. But the um, Italy, the UK, Spain, they all masked heavily. And they they died at a rate that's higher than most other countries. All the top countries um, instituted, you know, mandatory masks, lockdowns, shelter in place, and they performed horribly. The doctors in Italy that were wearing not just masks, but they were wearing N95 respirators. They were wearing face shields. They were wearing, you know, full covering, um, almost essentially hazmat suits. And in taking care of all the patients that they had in their hospitals, 40% of the physicians that were practicing on the front lines came down with COVID-19. So if all of that gear can't stop the virus, then how, how do we think that a mask will? The other thing is a mask is only, you know, your mouth and your nose is only a couple points of entry. The eyes are also a point of entry. We're not covering those. So, if somebody sneezes on you or coughs on you, or you simply walk through a cloud of viral particles, you're you're still going to get it because it's getting to your eyes. So where's the where's the logic in that? You know, um, we're not masks aren't the solution. In fact, there's there's a there's a study out there um, where they looked at these interventions in, in terms of influenza. The there was about the masks um, combined with Mask combined with um, hand washing, which is the most important, 
social distancing, secondarily important, um, but important. And then mask being almost no importance. But here's what the study said. It said mask plus hand washing plus um, uh, social distancing provided about 85% protection against uh, influenza. However, when they took the masks out of that equation, it was 80, the, just hand washing and social distancing was 83%. So masks provided 2%, a marginal benefit in the prevention of the disease. Now, some people may say, hey, that's, that's well, 2%, that's, I'll take it. But the problem is there's the risk. So that's the benefit, 2% marginal. Uh, the, the meta-analysis said ineffective, that masks were ineffective in preventing the virus because they also calculated the risk. And those risks of lowering your oxygen, increasing your CO2, um, rebreathing viral particles, worsening your disease, um, the masks you know, are being reused and contaminated. You wear the same mask day after day. You're breathing in not only... Um, viral particles of SARS-CoV-2, but any other bacteria, fungus, or anything else that starts to grow in that Petri dish of a warm, wet mask. Well, I think they lay on the... Yeah, and I think the other argument, I don't think we've we've talked about this at all. Maybe we did early, Uh, but is, you know, the the big argument you see on Facebook and social media, and and people are, you know, there's both sides of mask shaming. There's the people that are, you know, that are mask shaming for people not wearing them, obviously. And yeah. these people are going, well, why, I mean, so if, you know, why don't you just wear it in case, I mean, keep it from, you know, from spreading to other people. And I'm going, well, if they work so well. I mean, the other part, side of that is if they work so well, then why should you worry? You, you've got your mask on, right? And right. if somebody else is not wearing their mask, what, why should you care? It's almost like the vaccine um, right. argument to yeah, a degree. So how would you touch on yeah. that? Yeah, so one of the reasons that we were told to wear the mask is because it protects others from asymptomatic carriers, right? That was the basis. That was the, although the goalposts continually shift in this argument, the basis for wearing masks in SARS-CoV-2 was because um, there was this asymptomatic period where you could be infected with it and you could spread it, but you may not have any symptoms. Well, now we know that that is an extremely rare event. Careful contact tracing studies and multiple countries throughout the world um, have shown that asymptomatic spread of SARS-CoV-2 is extremely rare. For example, in a, in a uh, study that was done on 455 people that came in contact with one individual with coronavirus, one person got that. One out of 455 um, got a mild case of COVID-19. So that the asymptomatic spread is extremely rare. That's from Dr. Maria Korkov of the World Health Organization that um, gave an explanation during a press conference talking about all the studies she's seen on that. And so the asymptomatic spread issue is not an issue that they're significantly concerned about. And none of us really should be. So that removes one of the, the key criteria that they gave us for wearing masks to protect others. It's no longer there. Take It's gone. We shouldn't be wearing masks. Yep. Now, you asked a, a, another question, Josh, about schools. Now, I think this is a really important issue because, and it's, it's happening um, all over Oklahoma right now. Um, in fact, my son's school, 16-year-old son's school, 
has mandated masks for kids. And I, I think it's for all the reasons that we've already discussed, it's horrible. Um, it's a horrible directive. It's a horrible thing to do to our children. Number one, children, um, they're, they're about a handful of cho- or about two handfuls of children, about um, 12 children in the United States have um, died from coronavirus, uh, from COVID-19. I may be wrong on the number. It might be is it might be thirty. Uh, I think it's thirty worldwide, but it's about twelve in the United States. The um, and all of those kids were uh, immunocompromised, uh, multiple comorbid, comorbid conditions. They're the same kids that would be susceptible to any disease. Um, so the the rate of infection and the risk of, of death from coronavirus in children has so many zeros after the decimal point that it's it's almost does not occur. It should not be something that we are terrifying our children and forcing them to wear a medical mask that could cause m- many more other risks for their health than, than uh, any benefit that it provides. We should not be masking our children. Pediatricians all over this country have even weighed in and said, I will not be masking my children. Um, they will be going back to school, and they will not be masking. Well, this will be a um, subject. Is, this will be a subject for another day because um, I may have you on yeah. here. Because in my mind, when we're talking about schooling, uh, you're going to see a huge, huge, uh, I say, exodus of the public schools into into either charter schools or homeschooling because of this. I think we're going to yeah, see it. I agree. Uh, well, you're already seeing. There's been a forty percent increase in and enrollment in Epic charter schools here in Oklahoma. And I think it's a good thing. I'm glad to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. Uh, obviously we homeschool. So, um, I mean, as, as we're talking here, it's funny because I, I read, I read a headline on Tulsa world it says Tulsa public schools urge counselors to okay mask ordinance proposed by mayor. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to push it too, you know, and then right. here's the biggest one. They're pushing the- out of a job eventually is oh. that what you're thinking oh yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. well and here's the biggest one you know this is going to be all over i mean probably national news but tulsa world just said uh kevin stitt pretty shocked to be the first governor to test positive for covid 19 right i mean yeah <laughs> i mean no. you know that's going to be national he's news he's feeling pretty good oh yeah, yeah, he, yeah he says i'm not feeling i mean i'm reading it right here he says i feel fine like i feel fine yeah. i'm not it's not like i'm hurting so a little bit of achiness well, Jim, I appreciate you coming on. I know you got things to do uh, today. People can find you, obviously, at mehenmd.com, but where else can they find you, like on the social media networks? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm mainly on Facebook. I do a lot of my posting and my science on Facebook at, at Doc Meehan. Uh, my last name is M-E-E-H-A-N, and I'm also on Twitter, at Doc Meehan. Okay. Well, I really do. I appreciate you coming on on short notice, and um, I know you guys have some things that you're going to be doing today. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not for a mandate. I hope it doesn't pass. And so, you know, I hope you guys can. I know you're going to be doing your. We're going to crush it, Josh. Yeah, we're going to crush it. Well, you're a fighter. I know you. I know you're going to. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but I appreciate having you on, and um, I'll be talking to you soon. Okay. All right, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, God Jim. Bless you. Yep.